0: You should definitely use that. That's the theme song. Hello. Welcome to the Grub Street Podcast. I am Alan Sitzma, the editor of Grub Street. I'm here with Adam Platt, our chief restaurant critic. Hello, Adam. Hi, Alan. And today, we are talking about martinis. So to start, Lucky we are us. making Lucky us. martinis. And, mm-hmm. uh, rather, I am making martinis. Mr. Right. Platt, as is his wont, is sitting there and waiting to be served. That's, well,
1: yeah, that is my my general station in the world. Although, actually, I don't mind making martinis. I was not allowed to make this particular martini because Mr. Sitsuma considers himself to be Mr. Martini. So... Um, we, we've been in the midst in, in this sort of food world, drinks world for the last decade or so of this sort of, uh, ongoing, endless cocktail, uh, revival, uh, w- which has been actually a wonderful thing. Uh, if you uh, are a lover of spirits like you and I, uh, but like all wonderful things, like all renaissances, it's gotten a bit out of, out of hand recently. Uh, you have the sort of parody of the, uh, mixologist bartender with mutton chops, dressed in a vest, uh, uh, madly, almost viciously shaking things behind the bar, and cooking up all sorts of actually quite wonderful old-fashioned cocktails, but in the process also creating all sorts of bizarre do ones. Right.
0: I mean, let's back up a little bit, because... Ten, fifteen years ago, there were a bunch of great bars that opened: Milk and Honey, Flatiron Lounge, Little Branch. These are the ones. Well, that's what I mean about. That's what I mean.
1: Yeah. Actually, every decade has its drinks craze. You had the Cosmopolitans of the '80s and '90s. You had the mixology. The turn of the, you know, the millennial mixology, where uh, it, it, it was really sort of this great, uh, sort of rediscovery of the history, much like the rediscovery in slow food of the old ways of doing things, and uh, where it comes to. the millings of grains and the growing of tomatoes and the feeding of hogs. And it was the same with cocktails. So you went through this period of rediscovering the old ways of doing things. And then you also had, once you had this class of mixologists who were sort of trained in that, invariably what you had to do. And because it's a competitive culture, especially in New York, they all started making their own drinks. Many good, many not good. But this welter of sort of mixology creation. Right? Would you there were a lot
0: them? of lavender tinctures. There were a lot of.
1: Chartreuse, this, chartreuse, that, funny names, on and on. All good in their ways, m- m- many of them very, you know, increasingly brightly colored and sugary. And I think l- lately we've had sort of a winnowing of that.
0: There was a fascination with strong drinks, too. I mean, booze on top of booze with some like homemade ingredients added on top of that. And now there is sort of a correction. There's an adjustment because it got to the point where. There were a lot of really bad versions out there. So what used to be a mark of quality, homemade ingredients and and all this technique well, became and, and these, a parody of it. Yeah,
1: and, and there was a scholarship about the old, the classic old drinks that had been lost. I love reading about cocktails. You, you get in touch with a, a, a sort of an old lost culture when you re, read about the drinks. And then when you resuscitate these drinks, you know, like the ancient bull shot, like the sort of whatever the fish house punch from philadelphia which is actually tastes quite strange to our to our sort of leathery palates but was really the oldest mixed drink in 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 this country you know you feel like you're drinking a bit of history so it's sort of intoxicating and so you had this period of sort of this welter of, of all sorts of uh, different drinks being made and i think there have been some great drinks which have come out of this period Right? like the Archangel. Archangel's a wonderful drink. You know the that last that? word. Corpse Reviver, which is an old drink, which has been re- revived. they always wonderful drinks.
0: Well, what's but... happening is that the best of the crop right. is remaining and everything right. else There's... is falling away. Right,
1: right. So, you, you know, so the, the, But the, the giants still survive. And we both agreed, for different reasons, or maybe not different reasons, uh, that the classic martini is the one cocktail that if we were about to be made to walk the plank... Or, uh, you know, we're in front of our firing squad, it's the last drink that we'd, we'd order. Uh, David Wandrich, who is, uh, I think we, we both know, sort of the, uh, the homer of the sort of this modern cocktail revival. Yeah, that's what he said. Martini is still the one classic cocktail you would hope to get made properly in the general run of bars. Indeed, it's a sort of arc for the whole idea of the classic cocktail. And Ark is R A R K, as in Noah. Noah. <laughs> Noah. So it's like this freaking thing, this cocktail. Survive. It's just a, It's like this clean sort of high frequency whistle in this cacophony of you know sweet over juiced over syruped over fruited endless sort of
0: m- monkey parade of sort of the cocktail culture. So in other words. The martini cuts through the bullshit.
1: Cuts through the bullshit. It's just like this. Ding!
0: The one thing is that you can go to most bars now and get a really, really well-made martini because they're going to know how to do it. But people are starting to mess with the ratios a little bit. You see a lot of 50-50 martinis, which are basically exactly what they sound like. And, well in the beginning that's what they were. Right.
1: I mean the origins of the martini nobody really knows. I think we'd agree on this. A lot of people think it's Italian. That's that's wrong, correct?
0: Well, there is the I think the agreed upon consensus is that they began whatever they were as something much sweeter, a mixture of gin and sweet vermouth and some other right. things.
1: So they were sweet
0: and they were actually I think it was half and half
1: and it was done in various different ways.
0: There were other things added. Some say that this drink called the Martinez, which has some maraschino in it, that was sort of the forefather of the martini. But they started sweet, and eventually, at some point, everyone agrees now somebody made the had the idea to switch it from sweet vermouth to dry vermouth, which is what you see now. They were very vermouth heavy, and then over the years, they slowly got drier dryer and drier, drier, dryer, and dryer. drier, dryer. and now they've kind of corrected. Back Away from just being straight gin or even vodka, although that's, I think many people would agree, not a martini.
1: Okay, so we're making a martini here, and uh, Alan has bought two nice coupes, and uh, we are going to mix ourselves a martini. He's got his gin in a beaker, he's putting the ice in. Alan is a stirred, not shaken man. I actually don't mind. You can do whatever you want.
0: Well, actually, that's so, wrong,
1: I, I know it's wrong. I, well, how do you know it's wrong?
0: Because it makes it all watery. And uh, it has those chips of ice on it. I, I don't mind Blech.
1: that. I don't mind that. Anyway, well, the other thing about the martini is that, like the lots of wonderful things in the food world, it's an acquired taste.
0: Well, it's uh, not it, for the faint of heart.
1: Well, it is acqui- It is literally an acquired taste. I'm not going to say it's like caviar, but it's sort of like that. It's sort of like sort of these, uh, these sort of... Foods that it takes a while to appreciate, but once you've once you've acquired the taste, it's a wonderful thing. And I also, uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up. It was my father's favorite drink. My father being a old line wasp gentleman, he was a young gentleman then. Uh, would always come home and prepare one martini, and then p- perhaps another. And he'd always do it the same way. He was an olives man. He liked Gordon's gin. And uh, he used to drink, <laughs> you know, he had a high pressure job and he'd come home and he'd just sort of decompress. Uh, E.B. White used to, another old line, wasp gentleman who loved martinis like like gentlemen of that generation did. E.B. White, the, the the great New Yorker writer, used to call martinis the elixir of quietude. So you had this, I just have this image of my dad sort of just calming down. He didn't, not saying very much, just sipping on his martini and just relaxing and considering the adventures of the day.
0: It does announce the end of working generally. It has taken on the ceremony of whatever time you're having it, six o'clock, eight o'clock, that is the end. You have that first bracing sip, and your evening has begun.
1: And there's just this sort of elemental taste, this sort of mingling of these elements. I mean, gin is, you know, it's an old chemical. It's an old medicine. It's a, this elemental sort of sense of sort of comfort, medicinal comfort that you get from a good martini.
0: Well, here you are.
1: Thank you, sir. Lovely. It looks wonderful. Thank you.
0: Okay. Cheers. Cheers to the beginning of our podcast. And to the
1: timeless joys of the martini. How many stars? Get to where you want to go, <laughs> but I'll have another. Cheers! That was delicious. I'm um, carrying on. Keep talking. <laughs>
0: so this is not really the way that I make martinis at home. Very often, I think that one of the things about having living in New York and having access to all of these amazing bars is that you can kind of cherry pick the techniques that you see and like from everyone. So one of the things that I do is actually not even from New York. It's something you told me about. From the gin, Tokyo. From yeah. Tokyo.
1: I went on a trip to Tokyo, and uh, it's a booming bar cultural in Tokyo, and the the bartenders in Tokyo are uh, regarded as sort of the Spanish soccer players.
0: Well, as many Japanese artisans have done, they have studied right. the cocktail world, right. and they have perfected the cocktail right. world.
1: imitated it to the point of uh, making it their own. Surpassing. Possibly. I was taken to this bar, and it's a place in... Uh, that, the Ginza section of Tokyo, and a, a friend of mine who lives in Tokyo took me. And as usual, it's this circuitous route. You go down alleyways, down stairwells, into basements. God knows where you are. You're jet lagged. The door opens. This sort of classic little bar scene: uh, politely murmuring guests and two gentlemen dressed like Gatsby figures behind the bar, shaking away, wheeling and dealing. And I was taken there to, because my friend considered that this bar had the best Bloody Mary in the world. That's how he phrased it. And so I had this Bloody Mary, which was possibly the best Bloody Mary in the world, with muddled tomatoes, fresh, blah, blah, blah. And then I thought, well, gee, that's a good Bloody Mary. These guys, know, no, no, these guys know what they're doing. What about a martini? And it turned out that they had a very, they'd done through trial and error, Endless, you know, mixings of gins. They'd come up with this recipe, which I gave you, and now you're obsessed with it.
0: I like the, the idea of combining gins.
1: Can I just say the martini they made was just like, like silk. It like snuck up on you with little cat's paws.
0: How many Bloody Marys had you had before you had that martini? Five or six. <laughs> <laughs> Anything will sneak up on you after five or six Bloody Marys. The,
1: these ones went down like butter. Right, so let's hear about it. What is the recipe?
0: So I loved that idea. I love the idea of two parts, of, of two gins, maybe even more. Sort of like a house gin blend. Classic. Beef Eater and Tanqueray. Because here's the thing. The Beef Eater softens it. Tanqueray can be a little sharp, I find. So I like that. Just a little bit of Tanqueray. It adds a little bit of, of heat to it without too much. So that. You're really thinking a lot about these gins. You should go to Tokyo and be with these guys and wear their vests and shake. I love away. these guys. I love these guys. <laughs> these are my people. Then Dolan Vermouth. I like I like enough Vermouth so you know it's there without going overboard. I don't veer into the the very heavy ratios. I like I would say, you know, like a like a six to one. And then the other thing that I have seen that I stole, a couple dashes of orange bitters. Just like one or two. Then The other thing that I really like is at a bar called Booker and Dax, which is David Chang's bar. Oh,
1: God, not David Chang. Uh,
0: I love David Chang. The bartender's there. I don't know if they even still offer it, but at one time they had bottled cocktails, bottled martinis being one of them. So you make it, you add a little water to account for the dilution that you would get with the ice. You make it a big bottle of it, and you keep the bottle in the freezer. It's colder, it's smoother. You know when you keep a bottle of vodka in the freezer it gets that kind of like thick, like almost viscous pour, very silky. Yes. So a martini has that too when you do it. And so you just pour it in. It's as cold as you could possibly get it. Zero degrees. Colder than you could ever get it stirring.
1: Clean, clean, clean.
0: Icy. So beautiful. Perfect. You can just get a little bit. That's all you need. You don't need that big steakhouse bowl of martini. You need one little sip. Just a little boom. And then maybe a little bit more and you're done.
1: So do you remember the first martini you ever drank?
0: Nope. I think probably I was like eighteen and I ordered it because that's what you do and I probably hated it. No, it took a long time for me to come around. It is an
1: acquired taste, the juniper. It's like it's like sort of the uni of the cocktail world.
0: You know what it is? I was in my early twenties when all of these cool speakeasy bars were opening. Uh, I worked at a food magazine at the time, and we would go to these places a lot. So you saw all of the technique happening. It was very kind of uh, persuasive in terms of getting you interested in it. So we saw it all, and it was one of those things where as it kind of ballooned out of control, you just wanted to return to something, and it was that thing that you could always go back to and get, and it was just excellent. And it was—it's so streamlined. The arc of the classic cocktail. So cheers to you.
1: Cheers, Mr. S. Happy holidays to you. To yeah. numbing the pain.
0: I like syrup quiet too. It's kind of quietness. quite
1: depressing. No, it's, we're not numbing any pain. We're just—we're just—it's just a—it's we're just uh, it's, it's a, it's, it's a delicious. Uh, sense of peace and
0: quietude our thanks to laura mayer and andy bowers at panoply as well as our producer sam dingman Uh, we're going to be back here with another edition soon in the meantime if you liked this make sure you tell everyone you know that they should subscribe via whichever method they get their podcasts for adam platt i'm Alex sitzma thanks for listening thank you Martini Rambles. It's the Martini That's Chronicles. That's what we could have called this.
1: On and on about the martini. Hey, listen, the Martini Rambles. It, uh, let's get the ice shake. I like the the sound of the shaking yeah, yeah. ice. I li- Here. No, no. Yeah. I like that. I like the sound of the shaking ice. Yeah. All right. We're done here. Oh, okay. Now we're shaking one. Time for a little top off. Your face is getting a little red, you know.
0: It's hot in here.
1: I think you're a little slammed. I hope so. Yeah.